it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What's up, guys? I'm Bob Mata, a recovering criminal defense attorney turned podcaster. And I host the true crime podcast, Defense Diaries, which is a serialized deep dive into some of the most prolific cases in the history of criminal jurisprudence. Now, there are deep dive podcasts, and there are deep dive podcasts, and we are the latter. And in season one of the Defense Diaries, the Gacy Tapes, we featured 15 hours of never-before-heard pre-trial interviews between Gacy and his lawyer, my dad intertwined into a mind-blowing narrative, chalk-filled with the interviews of those involved with the case, culminating with the trial of the century. So, if you think you know the Gacy case, think again, because we literally changed the narrative of the case that everyone thought that they knew. So, give Defense Diaries a listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast involves topics such as violence, sex, and mental illness. If these topics are likely to disturb you or those around you, please reconsider. The privacy and confidentiality of everyone discussed have been carefully protected, and demographics and other details have been changed whenever possible. If you ever feel unsafe or suicidal, please call your local crisis center or the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-278-8255. You matter. Hey, this is Kate. If you lost a loved one and you weren't sure exactly what happened, but you had suspicions of foul play, what would it take for you to shrug your shoulders and say, eh, whatever, 
I hope, I hope that's a rhetorical question because for me, especially as a mom, I would go to the ends of the earth to make sure that I understood everything I needed to understand. And I'm, I'm familiar with the system. I've worked within the criminal justice system. And so I understand that there are times where someone may be factually guilty, but there's not enough evidence to bring it to court, or they may be factually innocent, but not be found not guilty or things like that. Like, I understand that there's a lot of loopholes and weirdness and unanswered questions. I'd still pursue it. I'd still fight to make sure that I understood everything I needed to understand. And what happened to my guest today is that she lost her daughter. She believes there's foul play, at least a cover-up. She's not making accusations in a legal libel, slanderous way. She's asking questions and she's explaining, this is my story. Will someone please listen to my story and help it make sense? This is a story that involves violence and death and very active grief and trauma and sadness. And so if those are difficult for you, I get it. I do. But if you're able to, please listen. Debbie deserves it. And so does Courtney. It's a story worth hearing. Are you sure you really want to know? This is Ignorance Was Bliss. My name is Debbie Heater. I am the mother of Courtney Heater. I'm here to talk about me seeking justice for the murder of my daughter, Courtney Heater. Where does the story start for you? I guess it would start, um, I guess I should explain about Courtney, who she is. Um, She's my only daughter. I only have two children, her being my second um, child. And I was very blessed and lucky and honored to be her mother. Um, Courtney is a, um, lived until she was 20, um, she was 24 going almost on 25 by the time she was murdered. Um, so I've had a long, good life with her. Not as long as I intended. She's always been very much into sports. She played, um, softball when she was young and then she went into ice hockey, played on co-ed teams. She did Irish dance. She did professional cheerleading. She did rugby all the way um, up to college. She um, volunteered for athletic training in high school. She was everybody's friend. Even guys and girls sought her out to be her friend. She was the person that everyone went to for advice. Um, Happy, always smiling, adventurous, spontaneous, 
um, always smiling, always polite, always courteous, always thinking of the other person before herself. Um, no matter what a problem they had, guys could come to her and ask about girlfriend problems they have, and girlfriends could come to her asking about guy problems they have. She was my best friend. Um, she still is. So um, how this starts is Courtney is dated um, a lot and through high school. But Courtney's dream was always to have a family of her own and to be in nursing, um, to have children, the whole family. Courtney got, um, I think we, we thought she was born with this, we were told, she had a cyst in her brain. And we discovered it more in high school. And she would get severe headaches very badly that um, she had a seizure. I think it was her sophomore year when her boyfriend was over at home at our house. I was at work. I'm a construction worker. So um, I work sometimes long hours. I was a single parent. Her father and I got a divorce. And then he wound up dying before this time. And Courtney and I had to go through brain surgery along with her brother um, to remove the cyst. They couldn't remove the cyst, so she had bleeding on the brain. So she's had this cyst with her until she died. Um, because of what Courtney went through, um, it had to be deflated. She still got severe headaches. Not as bad as when it was inflated, the cyst, which was above her spinal cord. So it'd be like a form of, she could feel her brain hitting the front of her scalp, I mean, the front of her forehead, she said. So she had to be in a dark room. She had to be um, quiet and let it just run its course. But because of this, she could have been on any medication she wanted. She could have been on morphine, painkillers, anything she wanted. Courtney chose no. Um, Courtney also chose to still play her sports. She wanted to live her life, but her dream was to be in pediatrics and um, neurology. She wanted to help other children who went through what she did because it was so bad. But Courtney had to be monitored every year because the cyst could inflate, which causes the spinal fluid not to circulate, which causes the headache and the brain to swell. So Courtney, um, during this time, had some temporary um, memory loss, and she had to deal with that her whole life. Sometimes she wouldn't remember something current, but that would be sometimes, sometimes not. It depends if she got a headache or not. So um, throughout high school, throughout grammar school, out of high school, Courtney dated, and she had some long-term relationships. And then in 2018, she bro uh, broke up with um, a boy. Liam, that she met in rugby that was from Australia. And it hit Courtney pretty bad because they were making plans for her to go to Australia and live. And she was very excited. She was very adventurous. She always wanted to live someplace else than Illinois. So when she met, um, she started dating, um, looking for people on the internet, as these young people do. And in March, around March, um, February, March, she met Julian on Tinder on um, a dating site. And at first when she met him, she didn't realize, and he didn't say that he was from North Carolina. She assumed that he was from Illinois and they started up a pretty nice relationship. And then a few weeks later, he's coming out to see his child in Illinois. This is when she found out he's not from Illinois. 
he comes out to Illinois from North Carolina to visit his child out here that's a toddler. And Courtney thought that was wonderful because here's a good man, a few years older than her, that comes and makes the trip to see his child. And what a perfect person this is. And he's got this accent, um, a Southern country boy. So Courtney was falling in deep and fast. So a couple weeks go by and she, he's, she's invited to go back with him, with his child to North Carolina and meet his family. And she hears how they're very into church. They're Baptists. Um, she asked me, I says, if they go to church, that must be a good sign, Courtney. So she goes and meets them and falls in love. This is it. Um, three months go by and they see each other back and forth, back and forth. Um, the family encourages to come out there. She met the grandparents, his family, his sister, everybody. Um, he tells her in July of 2018 that a little bit before July, I take that back. Um, if you move out here, my mom's the head of nursing in the ER department at the hospital. You can continue your nursing because she's going to school for nursing. At the time, she worked for an eye surgeon, ophthalmologist, and um, Courtney loved that. She dealt with a lot of elderly Courtney just absolutely loved dealing with the elderly. She loved them because Courtney didn't have any grandparents of her own. So she cherished these elderly people because she's never been around grandparents before. Um, she, he tells her to come out there and everything. And so she tells me she's doing this. And I was scared to death because I can't do a drive-by. I can't check on her. But this I saw how happy she was. And I had a great fear of her dying by 24 because my first husband before her, not her father, died at just about 24. He was electrocuted. And she got very upset with me and said, Mom, you know, don't you think better of me of that? I won't let anything happen. You know, so she left me July 1st of 2018. And she lived out there until she died February 2nd, 2020. In the beginning, it, it seemed to be okay to quit her job. Courtney's always had a job. She went with his son also, his toddler. And they were supposed to bring the toddler back. So I was going to see her, I think in a few weeks or a month. I can't remember which. And But I was going to see her soon after she moved out there. That was going to be a check-in to see how she's doing. Well, she never came back. Um, I think it was six months because he wound up keeping his child against orders to bring him back. And Courtney became the nanny. So Courtney wasn't allowed to get a job. She wasn't allowed to take her car. Courtney's always had a car, always had a job, always had her own money. Since I, I think 14 or 15, she's babysitted. She's always had her own things. Had a cell phone. I think she had a cell phone at nine because I was going through a divorce. Um, I had to bring two to sports, two to everything. It's hard to do it when you're just one person. I didn't have any parents to help me raise them. It was just me and my two kids. Um, so they have this relationship that she's kind of kept private to me because um, during this time, she told me that when things were good, they were very good. And when things were bad, they were very bad. And not until November of 2019, she came home for Thanksgiving. Did she announce to me of the severe drug 
addiction he has. Um, she told me a little bit in the beginning, but she confirmed that he's beating it. He's getting over it. He just gets into drugs because he misses his son. Even though she got a call from the first girlfriend before her warning her. And I said to Courtney, I said, you know, you have to, you have to take 50% what everyone says and take your 50% and decide what's right. It, the girl is very persistent, but we had no idea what we we're getting into. And of course, um, Julian pretends he's the victim always. Now I know for sure he is not no victim of anything. Um, so Courtney was left in this house that was paid for by the father cash within three weeks to live in next door to his house in Columbus County, North Carolina. And the town was actually in the kind of small town of 1200 people, I think is in the town. Um, she was left a lot of times with no electricity, which means the pump can't pump the water in the house. So they didn't have water sometimes. Sometimes they didn't have electricity. She made it through the hurricane. I always wanted to help her and send her, but she always said no. It was up to his father. His father paid everything because Julian worked for his father for the family business. And um, Courtney developed a relationship very, very soon on in 2018 when she first met him because they pushed Courtney to be the caretaker of Julian's drug habit. Courtney had to be the battering ram, the, the wall between him and drugs. So much so they even taught her how to minister Narcan to him, how to give him his Suboxone, if I'm saying that correctly. Courtney's never been exposed to any of this. The only thing Courtney ever did was smoke pot. And she even up smoking up pot more, thinking that this could get him off, you know, every drug he's been on. He's told me to my face that he's been on every drug possible and knows the cause and effect of everything. And that's the common denominator. He talks about this to his girlfriend's mother, like it's some kind of special skill in my house. And I've never been exposed to this. No one in my family's ever, we don't know what to look for for this. And he never believed that there's anybody in the world that's not done all the drugs that he's done. He just thinks that people are honest about it. And he finally believed um, that Courtney doesn't do drugs. So much so on the day she died, the 911 call, he says three times, no, ma'am, she doesn't do drugs, but I'm sorry, I don't need to jump around. So um, there's been many times through, through the 17 months that they were together, they met for 20 months. Um, Courtney moved down there with her dog, um, Harley, that I bought for a chocolate lab, and her cat, Ella, which was a max, mixed calico looking cat, beautiful cat, and um, her things. And she had to raise this boy, and from, I believe it was July 2018 to November 2018 with no cable, no TV, nothing to do. The poor little boy didn't have any Halloween costume. When they first get out there, he doesn't want to buy any milk for the child because his drugs have to be purchased first. That was pretty upsetting. Courtney called me and didn't know what to do. She wanted to get the baby milk, you know, the toddler milk. That's what kids drink. And he said, if I have enough money after I get my medication, his medication was drugs. Um, usually heroin or fentanyl or cocaine. And um, that's what he did. So this, there's been many times throughout the year that I wasn't allowed to talk to Courtney because she was taken off of all social media. She wasn't really allowed to talk to anybody. Um, when she came in is 
to town, which was still fighting the custody battle of the toddler because now he's going for custody. Courtney worked directly with the court system and offering to be drug tested at any time randomly or um, go through parenting classes to be able to co-parent with the child. Julian was not. He was not willing to do random drug testing and he was not willing to do parenting. In fact, Courtney was the only person that made sure during this time of kidnapping of the child that Courtney left the communication open with the mother and the toddler. And um, Julian did not. Courtney tried to be the mediator because Courtney really loved this little boy. She really, really loved him. And she felt very bad for him. She felt she had to be his protector. She didn't want him exposed to so much um, because she knows that changes children. So um, throughout the time that they were together, I get random phone calls late at night that he pushed her out of the car. He is, he's calling me, asking me, should he go back and get her? Courtney won't get back in the car. Courtney jumped out of the car. Um, I call the police from out here, out there to go rescue her. She gets mad at me because now she's embarrassed. And then I have to not talk to her for a while because now he's mad at her and she's not allowed to talk to me. Many times for me to talk to her, I had to call her on his phone, which was owned by my daughter. Later on, she wanted to buy him an iPhone. He never had one before and an iPhone watch. So everything had to go through him. If she wanted to go on Facebook, she had to go on his Facebook. Hers was not allowed to be used. Um, everything had to go through him. She had one friend out there. The one friend never had time alone with her. If she did, he would be sitting outside or he'd be calling and calling. Okay, it's time to go. It's time to go. They never got to have girl time. She never was allowed to have friends, neighbors, or anything. Um, so when she, Courtney came home, and there'd be long periods where I couldn't talk to Courtney. Um, because You could tell there was something there, but I trusted that she would tell me, and she didn't. Not till that November of 2019. She came home and told me, Mom, he, um, in, October, in uh, September of 2019, actually October 25th, I didn't know the date at that time, but I found out after she died, he punched her repeatedly in her face and assaulted her, almost breaking her herbal eye socket. And a neighbor witnessed it. And Courtney told me how the neighbor pulled her in from out side into her house and called the police and she sh saved her life and um as a mom you're hearing this for the first time and you're thinking oh my god do i say something um and i've learned with courtney because who she is she's like a butterfly um you don't want to steer her one way because she'll go the other so i just listened and she announced to me and we have a very open house the whole downstairs open i was upstairs that he's a drug addict and that he should leave. And um, they were in to see the toddler and to go to court. And she wanted to spend the week there. I haven't had Courtney want to spend a week at home in a long time. And it was the best week of my life. I just, I'm sad that um, I had to work during the day because I work construction. And it's very busy the week of Thanksgiving because it's a shorter week. But um, I was so very lucky that I had that. Um, he was leaving every day for hours at a time and Courtney never said where he was going until the end of the week. And she told me he was looking for drugs. And it's funny that someone in another state he doesn't live in has contacts out here. 
but he did. And she was very upset. And she announced to me that she was done with this life and she wanted to come back home and she's not going back with him. Um, she told him to leave. Um, he didn't want to leave. She goes and takes the garbage out of my house. And we have three steps going down off a deck into the, our garbage cans on a, a, a platform. And she slipped. It was icier here. We live in Chicago. It was um, slipping. It rained. It was getting icy. And I'm taking her to the emergency room. So this would have been um, the, the Sunday after Thanksgiving. I'm sorry. I don't know the date. And um, she hurt her back pretty bad. So the doctor was going to give her pain pills to take home. And uh, she said, no. And I, I said, why? And she says, uh, Julian, can you go out and get me some water? And he goes out and she tells me, she says, mom, he'll take them. And I says, Courtney, that's ridiculous. Is he that bad? And this is the first time I'm hearing how bad this is. And she says, yes. And I says, Courtney, that's an addict. She says, yes, he is. He's been lying to me about everything. He's never gotten clean. He's lied and lied and lied. And his family doesn't help me or anything. That's why he hurt me because I pulled the keys out of the car in September and he continually punched my face. She got, at the time I didn't know that either, is that she really developed PTSD from that. Um, I'll explain later. So um, she says, mom, I'm, I'm not coming back. I want to come home. And um, can you help me get a job? Because she did want to getting a job after they returned the child in November of 2018. And he lost, he caused her to lose her job because he was doing drugs in the parking lot. And they saw, and this is another eye surgeon. You can't be doing that stuff like that. He fell on his face in the parking lot and she was let go with severance a week after that. And um, that ruined her. That really trapped her more. She never even told me about it till that November. She didn't tell me why she lost her job um, until I, was bringing her back home. So anyway, I jumped ahead again. So um, I was thrilled jumping inside with excitement that my daughter's coming home and I don't have to worry anymore and I don't have to be scared anymore. And um, I said, that's okay. We'll get your job in the union. I'm in the union labor. You'll have a car in a couple months. You could stay here. If you don't want to stay here, you can save up and get an apartment again. It's going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. And she started to get excited and stuff. So she told him once again, I'm not going back with you. And um, she was very firm and strong. I went upstairs to give him time alone to talk. And I fell asleep after a couple hours. And this is the day that he was supposed to leave or, and she was supposed to leave. So he could be back at work Monday for work. And, um, and again, this is the Sunday after Thanksgiving of 2019. She comes up crying and um, Courtney doesn't cry. If Courtney cries, she cries in private. She never lets someone see her tears. She said that nobody was worth tears like that. Um, she was crying and she says, Mom, I'm sorry. I have to go back because I'm afraid what he's going to do to Harley for Chocolate Lab. Um, I will pack my things and have everything ready. Will you promise to come get me the following weekend? And I said I would. And um, she's crying bad. And um, I let her go. We make plans and um, I go the following Saturday to go get her. He doesn't know that I'm coming. I get there. I leave work on Saturday afternoon. I get there Sunday. This is still 2019, the first weekend after Thanksgiving. And um, 
she's not there. You know, she's talking to me the whole time. I get a ticket going out there. Um, she feels very bad. I, I tell her, you know, she, it's okay, Courtney, you're worth it. I would do anything. And she was surprised that she thought she was worth that. That's how badly beaten down she is because Courtney was overly confident, overly strong. There's nothing she couldn't do. And, and rugby is a very hard sport to play as a girl. There's no equipment. You know, there's no, she, she always took the hardest position in any sport, but um, anyway, so um, she finally gets back. He took her for Chinese food and to shoot a gun. And this is when she's talking to him that she's leaving. And he announces that they're going to go shoot a gun. He's never taken her shooting before, but today's the day he's taken her shooting when she's leaving. And Julian doesn't let people go. The first girlfriend, that's the baby of the toddler. She had to leave and sneak out too. Courtney did the same thing. I didn't know at the time, but I later find out she died. According to Julian's sister, um, that Courtney Light said I was sick and she had to come home with me. That's why she didn't take everything with her. She had to make sure that it looked like she was coming back to get out. Sure. I get her home. We, get, um, we leave Sunday. We get home Monday morning. Just enough time for me to get ready for work. I go to work. The whole day Monday, she spent talking to him all day long. She never unpacked her things out of my truck. I had a company truck, so I, I still went to work. And um, she orchestrated an argument between us. And she wound up leaving Monday night. And um, he knew about it. He wouldn't um, He wouldn't tell me where she was after we, her and I had a very bad physical argument, which we've never had in our life. And this is where I find out she must have had PTSD because she's talking to me like it's not me. Um, it got so bad that um, she wanted to be arrested in Illinois um, the next month. And that would be the last time I see her before she dies. And now knowing what I know, I pretty sure he got Courtney to come back because um, I heard from a person that knows her out there and him that he threatened to have something to do with her brother, my son and me having something happen to us. And when I was driving Courtney home, she told me when he finds out the truth of that, she's not coming back because she just told me, she just told him she's not sure she wanted him to be by himself a while. It wasn't the truth, but she told me he, he would come after her me and we would have to get cameras and order protection. So when he did what he did to get her back, I decided to do this, what she told me to do, get order protection and get cameras. And um, he orchestrated this, I feel, is to make her more isolated because then in four weeks, she'll be dead. And she is. Um, Courtney throughout the relationship documented, she was so smart on her phone, but at the time of her death, I didn't get her phone. I only got what the iCloud could um, save, which would be October to 2019. Anything after that, I didn't get. Um, but I'm working on it. And she documented quite a bit of good information. And she did a lot of recordings. And she told me about a video of him high looking into a wall like he could see through a, a, a mirror. This later would be the place where Courtney's dead at. It's just chilling. And um, she wound up dying of fentanyl and heroin overdose, accidental, but she also had uh, a diagnosis, blunt force trauma to her head, torso and extremities. She had uh, two broken ribs, pulmonary edema and pneumonia, and a tire mark on her left ankle. She had bruising on her body of different stages of healing, 
and and also the ribs were th were three weeks into healing. There was no blood behind the ribs, so they weren't broken during CPR. And um, being that Courtney, I I wasn't notified for six hours after she died. She was checked into the hospitals at Jane Doe out of her own home where she was living for seventeen months on and off. And they he tried to claim the body to have it cremated. I didn't know that either at the time, saying that her and I have no relationship, there is no mother, and that they're married. I heard that all from the uh, medical examiner. But um, in the 911 call, he never gives her uh, CPR. It's obvious. He never stops boohooing, and it's all very theatrical. He says three times in the 911 call that Courtney does not do drugs. No, ma'am, Courtney doesn't do drugs. No, no, no. He tells the paramedics, the police, no, she doesn't do drugs. I have many, many texts from the father, Julian, all of them, how perfect Courtney is. She doesn't do drugs and, and them making her responsible for him doing drugs. There's recordings of the father talking to Julian about his drug use. And it's up to Courtney to keep him straight so that they can get custody of the toddler because this was a big battle now to get him. Um, Julian has been beating her and beating her and beating her. And I know my daughter, she could have had any drug in the world she wanted. She would not taken heroin and fentanyl, not even to try. She had sports induced asthma. She gets these headaches. At the time of her death, she's got two broken ribs, so she can't cough. She's got pneumonia. She's got a fever and she got pulmonary edema. She can't even breathe. There is no pot in her toxicology blood work and Courtney smoked pot. So that means that Courtney at least has not had pot for five to six weeks. Um, when I brought her home to start working in the union, she told me that in a, in a couple of days, she would pass um, a, a drug test. And I, and she says, well, pot show up. And I says, yes, of course it will. But in Illinois, it was coming legal. So she didn't think that would be a problem. And she says that I just probably need three more days because I haven't had it in almost a month and a half then. And I said, okay, because I was calling in a favor at the union and I don't want to be embarrassed. And she knew that. So that means she probably hasn't had pot for a few months then by then. So, and she was upping her pot usage so he wouldn't do drugs. But yet fentanyl and heroin is my daughter's body. Doesn't make any sense. But yet there's pictures of her. And I just realized of her playing rugby. She's holding an inhaler in high school on her knee as she's in the tackle position. She's holding an inhaler. But yet she wouldn't do this. She was grateful. She wanted to be in, in medical field. There's no way she would ever do this. And, and even if she did, why is her body in the condition it's in? It makes no sense. No one's explained that. The sheriff hasn't explained it. Nobody's explained it. Why they have never taken a statement from her, from him to this day. It's just turned two years. There's still no statement. I still don't have her phone or iPhone watch. I still don't have a majority of her things. He wears her clothes and my clothes out with other women. He started dating three weeks after she died. I've begged him to tell the truth, be a man, and just tell the truth. Won't do that. Um, it, it just doesn't make any sense. No crime scene photos. No crime scene diagrams. 
There's marks between her legs, marks on her breast, a tire mark on her left ankle. Courtney looks like she was thrown out of a car. Um, her hairline has been removed and pulled back. Um, they state that in the autopsy. And I've learned a lot. And I, I would love to make awareness, especially with domestic violence, is that um, you can't depend on the medical examiner speaking for the dead. They, they don't, especially in North Carolina. They work with the sheriff to what they want on the autopsy. And they develop their findings toward what they're looking for. And what they were looking for was a drug overdose. From day one, they've called this a drug overdose, even though I didn't get the autopsy till August. They've always called it a drug overdose from day one, but even though he says it isn't. He's changed the story seven times. He was telling people, because he was still going through court after Courtney died, um, for his toddler, and they in the court system, I made sure they knew what Courtney died of, and he lost custody of his child for sure forever from that. But he told the court system the judge, that she died of a brain aneurysm. Now, this is a few, a week after she died. I thought that's what she died of until I was able to claim her body and I saw her legs. And when I saw the condition of her shins and her knees, there's no way she died of a brain aneurysm. I thought maybe she fell, you know, but when I pulled back the blanket on the stretcher they had her on, I knew then that he murdered my daughter. He didn't put her in the clothes I asked her to be put in. He put her in a romper, not a dress, not her favorite suede little booties with black tights. She was going to see God. He wouldn't put the necklace on her of her cross. He put somebody else's gold tarnished jewelry on her and somebody else's clothes. And he gave somebody else's stilettos, black suede stilettos with leopard inside print that didn't fit her feet. I tried those shoes on. They're too small for her. They're a size eight. She wears a size nine. So here he wouldn't even put her own clothes on there. And I talked to the father directly. They constantly humiliated her and made her look like trash. Even in um, the police report, which I have everything. I even had the autopsy photos. He, um, he was asked to put a blanket on her when they walked in. And that's in the police report. And he hesitates in putting a blanket on her. He lays her there naked and vomit. They never test the vomit. He changes the story that she fell off the bed, turned blue, spit up on him, and died, stopped breathing, turned blue. Then at the end of the medical examiner's report, he tells him that she spit up on him, got out of bed, walked to the hallway, went into the bathroom where there's some blood, and they don't test for it or take pictures. She comes back and collapses in the hallway. There's... There's five more stories he comes up with later on as the time goes by. But these are two documented stories that he's and the aneurysm. That's three right there. And then he starts telling people other stories that my private investigators have found out. But anyway, um, so by the time Courtney gets to the to the morgue, she's checked in as a Jane Doe because he wouldn't cooperate and say who she was. Who would do that to someone they love? Right. This is the love of his life. He wants to marry, um, wants to have his life with. That's saving his life from getting off of drugs. He um, he lets her sit in a morgue as a Jane Doe because he wouldn't identify her till he can come in there with his parents and straighten up. He was high at this time too. Um, the police report doesn't say that, but the medical examiners do. And um, and by the way, all the medical examiners, one has died, the all rest left. 
The detective that originally was on my daughter's case never even spoke to me. I later got signed another detective. He's now left the force too. He got promoted during Courtney's case and then he left. Now he teaches at a college as an instructor. That's all kind of odd. But anyway, um, he leaves her sit there and then comes up with, oh, maybe she did overdose. So now here is what, are we on to four or five different stories right now? So, and then he tells all this other stuff. Yeah. To the medical examiner. Guess what? Courtney is dressed. <laughs> she leaves the house. She's in the house naked. By the time she gets to the morgue, I don't know how it happens. She's in a long t-shirt with a, a, a different colored towel. It's a multicolored towel because that's how she comes to at the morgue. I mean, at the medical examiner's. And guess what? I never get that T-shirt. I never get her one earring, which makes no sense. Courtney had gauges in her ear, little tiny ones. She never took them out. They're not in her ears. Her, her, her other earrings aren't in her earlobes or they go higher. Um, the T-shirt I never got. I don't know where it went to. So who dressed her? It, it doesn't. These are reports. It doesn't make sense. And. I asked over and over after she dies, you know, is there going to be an investigation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, will you get a statement from him? Yeah, we will. Um, they never do. They never get her phones. Um, she's got two iPhones and two iPhone watches. He took one. Um, he was using one iPhone and one iPhone watch, but they're both registered. They're all registered in Courtney's name through Verizon on her own private account that he's not allowed to have that stolen property. Besides all the property I didn't get from. That is my daughter's. Um, I, to this day, there is no statement. They're never going to give me a statement because they told me in August when I got the autopsy that there will be no investigation because there's drugs in her system, plain and simple. And I said, but what about the condition of her body? Just because someone has drugs in their body doesn't mean they took it. Please explain to me why her body looks the way it does. And they said no investigation. So then a year ago, last February 2nd, through the influence of CBS News Chicago, the sheriff decided, um, the chief deputy actually decided that I can come down and show them everything I got. This is the second time that I've been told I'll get everything I got can show them. Because when I talked to the one detective that was now in charge of homicide who left, not at this time, he leaves sometime after August, I don't know when, that, oh, wait, she's got two broken ribs. I'll call you on Monday, give you my email, send me everything you got. So now when I go six months later, I'm going February 2nd, 2021, one year to the day on her anniversary, CBS News did a, an article on the news asking for them to give me answers. And they lie and said how they offered me plane tickets there to come see what they have. They have nothing. They have, they have no crime photos, nothing. They have a page and a half of a report. If you put the two pages together, it's one whole page. And it's not even complete of an investigation. That's it. They don't have her 911 call. I do. They don't have her autopsy photos. I do. No one was present at the time of her autopsy. They're supposed to be. Who witnesses, who takes whose blood out that that person's their blood? When you go to a doctor, they show you the tube. Is this your blood? Yes. Initial this. Initial this. Who does that for the dead? It's supposed to be the sheriff. And out there... There only is the sheriff. There's no police in the whole state of North Carolina. Nobody's above anybody from the attorney general to the governor, to the district attorney, to the SBI, to the, to the sheriff. Nobody 
is there are no, no check and balances, no accountability. Everyone just does what they want. I've called all these places, begged and begged, pleaded, promised anything. And what's great about North Carolina, you only need one-sided consent. So I taped this all and it's legal. <laughs> but then again, in North Carolina, anyone could get anybody's autopsy too. So they started posting my daughter's autopsy to embarrass me, um, the boyfriend's family, to get me to stop investigating myself because now I'm getting public. I'm going on, I made a Facebook. I, I've done things to bring it public. So um, I go out there a year ago, February 2nd of 2021. They wouldn't look at anything. They wouldn't look at the autopsy photos. It wouldn't listen to the 911 call. They just called me out there for that long, expensive trip to drive, promising me that they were going to do something for me. They did nothing. They laughed at me. They made fun of me. And they sent me on my merry way. And so on the when autopsy, I told- it says cause of death, overdose, manner accidental. Accidental overdose of fentanyl and heroin. Yes. And, that's and then it stuck. gives, yes, because right below it, it gives diagnoses. And again, it says blunt force trauma, head, torso, extremities. And then it says pulmonary edema and pneumonia. But all accidental, all, they're not, we're, we're going to pretend no, like. She died of drugs, but. Right. But they're, say, they're saying an, an accidental overdose, not a suicide, not a murder and not natural causes. No. They're saying. No. No crime. There'll be no criminal investigation. There'll be no looking into anything, even the condition of the home. I heard the home was tore up. And when I got out there, there's broken windows and glass in and outside the house. They had a day to clean up that house and they don't clean up the glass because there just was so much in that house. And they try, try getting stuff out of there from what I heard um, of my daughters. Sure. And I don't know what that stuff is. Five boxes they took out of that house. The police didn't assist me in getting anything. They just kept threatening me. And I went down there with my son, which was really hard to do and wasn't given much. I'd given one shoe, not the other. You know, I, I don't care where that stuff went. I didn't want him to have it. Right. Because he murdered my, my daughter. My daughter, who went through brain surgery with me, who I almost lost during childbirth. I got her this far and he kills her and isn't man enough to take responsibility. He obviously has been beating her and beating her and he knew she was leaving and she was going to be punished for it. Well, and that's something that I was going to talk about a little is, you know, I, I work, I worked in crisis centers before with, with survivors and victims of domestic violence and people might, think, you know, we, we kind of, I think we have assumptions about like when the most dangerous time is for a relationship, but the reality is the most dangerous time is whenever the abuser believes that the victim is leaving. Oh, he knew. And it sounds like, yeah, it sounds like this was, he, he knew that this was it. This was not just a threat or an argument or, you know, I mean, let's, let me back up by a second. And say, like, so I live in uh, Salem, Massachusetts. The next town over is Lynn, Massachusetts, which, depending on the year and, I don't know, the economy, I don't know what the right word is, but over times in the past 
15 years, it has at times been the heroin capital of the United States. We, oh, wow. We saw, I, I worked in the emergency rooms for a fairly significant amount of time. I worked with substance abuse treatment as well as assessment and that kind of thing. And so we saw a lot of addicts and all of them, with no exception, are human. They're, they're people, they're human beings. And human beings can still be the victims of crimes and can still be hurt or beat or, or murdered. It, and it doesn't matter what's in their system. What matters is their, that this is a person, this has a family, this is, this is somebody who was important. And it doesn't sound like that was given a whole lot of consideration. Like, yes, okay, maybe having drugs in the system allowed her body to break in down in different ways you know pulmonary edema is a fluid in the lungs and it can happen with opiate use that that is a sort of a known thing and so okay that can contribute but it's not going to cause a fever it's not going to cause pneumonia you know an infection necessarily that kind of thing and so it's just it's, it sounds it sounds crazy complicated and also at the end of the day frankly if i've got a couple of broken ribs and pneumonia and i've had somebody run over my ankle with a car i'm probably going to use painkillers like let's be real so she may not have a history she may have done at that time who cares like that's one piece of her life that doesn't become her whole life and and that's what happens i i find not so much here not so much in, in the people that that i saw in the emergency room in lynn because we're so used to it it's so common up here that you learn to look past the drugs we're trained explicitly to look past the drugs and see the person, but in smaller towns, in outlying areas, even here, even locally, you know, so I worked in four different emergency rooms, plus sometimes I would go to people's homes and some of the homes were fairly remote and the police, I would do ride alongs with the police or whatever. And depending on the police department or the sheriff's office, they would have very different ideas about well, maybe you're going to see drugs here. And if that's the case, we'll just leave. And I'll be like, no, 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 no. We're going to do a crisis evaluation because you called me to do a crisis evaluation. And these are human beings in here that need to be talked to. But for me to see that just in, you know, the, the, the area of coverage was all within half a mile, uh, half an hour rather of my home. Mm -hmm. So in half an hour hour of Salem, Massachusetts, which is a pretty well-known place in right outside of Boston, and you can get that much variety in how law enforcement treated perceived drug use, then you think about some place where there's more space. You said this is a really small town. It comes it becomes yes. very easy for police to just sort of shrug somebody off as, well, it's just an overdose, move on from here. And at the end of the day, you still lost your child and that's going to yes. suck long and hard. And that just, there's nothing that makes that better. And it's not like, like, do you have people ask you, why do you care? Like, what would you get out of it? I've had a few people say to me, um, comment wise, since I started posting from out there, um, you can't bring her back. You know, what's the sense? And this is a small town. 
This family has been there, I think, since North Carolina started. They have money. They donate land to the church. Everybody knows everybody out there. And everyone who's contacted me, but that's been very upset about this because it's not very known this even happened out there. But the few people that know said this family's been getting away with this stuff since the two kids have been in high school and they're never held accountable. And it's just, this is what we do. And this is a place where they still think they're still mad about the civil war. The war of Northern aggression. Is that what they call it down there? Yes. And I'm a Yankee. Yes. And my daughter's a Yankee and they don't care for someone who's not their own and we're not. And, um, I, I just, um, to add one more thing, um, I found out why she had the pulmonary edema pneumonia and why she was so sick. Cause there was even cold medicine in her, um, blood report when you don't treat broken ribs. And this is February out there, even though it's warmer, but it is cold at this time you develop pneumonia and pulmonary edema because you can't breathe or cough nothing up. And she had cold medicine in there. Her hair is loaded with vomit, but she's laying in it, but they don't test the vomit. But then she was in the bathroom. There's blood in the bathroom. They don't take no pictures. They don't test it. The EMTs told me she went to take a shower. And um, Julian says in the report that she w- she wasn't, um, she was having trouble breathing at 1230 at night, but he doesn't call an ambulance to 332 in the morning. And anyone knows anything about fentanyl and heroin, by the time you put your arm down, if you inject it or take a pill, you're dead. You're dead that fast. You can't there was be, no yeah. drugs found in the home. None. There was some cleanup. Yeah. Why? Why is he cleaning up? Right. Right. No, I follow. And, and, you know, it doesn't make any sense. Like, I, I do get why people would say, like, just leave it alone. She's gone. It won't bring her back. Like, I, I get that. I, mm-hmm. I've had a fairly recent loss of my own that was not drug related, but it was a fairly recent loss. And that experience was one where I actually just before we, we hit record, I um, was talking to somebody I hadn't spoken to in a while. And he asked me, well, do you want to know? Because there's some unanswered questions. You know, it's not, yes. it's not similar in the, the details, but the, it's similar in the somebody died and there are missing pieces. And in yep. my case, I don't question the ruling of the death itself i know how and you know so i know both means and manner of death i know how and i know that it was a deliberate death those are things that i know and i don't doubt those but even with that information i want to fill in some of those blanks because you just will it make me feel better i don't know but i don't know that i can feel a whole lot worse and i'm someone who copes better with information yes yes you know, even if it's information I don't like, even if you come to me and, and tell me, like, I, I, the sense that I'm getting from you, and, and correct me, please, if I am wrong, but the sense that I'm getting from you is that if you saw in the autopsy report that her arms were littered with track marks and she had, you know, eight different substances in her system and there was drug paraphernalia all around the house and you found a note written by her with a list of what drugs she had taken more recently that's not 
great. Like nobody ever loves yeah. to learn that about somebody that they love, but at least you, you know. Yeah. Yes, I know. And I know I'll never know because he's never going to say. He's never going to say. And um, an another reason why I don't give up is that he started dating a girl three weeks after Courtney died. He wouldn't say her name, look at her, never hit a tear when I let him see her before I had her cremated. He did the same thing to her with beatings. And I don't live out there. These are people contacting me from out there. And one particular person wrote this on her change.org justice for Courtney signatures. And it was the grandmother of one of the girls, the girl he was dating children. And um, I do believe with all my sounding off and posting, I saved that girl because they stopped seeing each other. It would have been, um, it was sometime in May of last year of 2021. And he was caught a few months after that, secret peeking, stalking, heroin, and a gun um, climbing through her window. He was going to kill her because he was carrying heroin. He wasn't carrying M&Ms and they were going to watch a movie and he was coming through the front door invited. He was climbing in the window of her mother's home where she was away from him. They broke up and she had to escape. And it's the same thing, but the difference between her and Courtney is that she lived out there. She was able to keep her job because she didn't have to live with them. She didn't live with them and she had a car. But I believe wholeheartedly in my heart, he was going there to kill her because people don't leave Julian. Julian leaves them. And he started dating another girl and her name is Courtney, conveniently. Started dating her on her birthday, Courtney's birthday, my Courtney's birthday. And um, I don't know if they're together or not because they keep everything very private. So that's on her. But just like the girl before Courtney tried to warn Courtney, and we found out that Julian doesn't change patterns. Julian's been trying to put these drugs in many girls' food throughout his whole history. And this is what he does because girls don't leave Julian. And, and Courtney's the only one that didn't get away. How, how hard is it for you to give yourself some grace over this and give yourself both permission to grieve, but also to, to forgive yourself for the fact that, I mean, people can say to you, hey, it's not your fault, but like, can you hear that? I hear it. I hear it. I really do hear it. And I appreciate it. But I've been a single parent too long and, and fighting for my kids and keeping them safe and, and raising them and taking them to sports. It's hard to do that. Um, I, I do blame myself. I know she would have went even mad at me. Um, I just wish when her and when she instigated that argument that I would have seen that she had PTSD then. That's why she acted the way she did. I wish I would have seen that. I vocalized that in court when we were in court together. I said that in court that she's not herself. This is not her. Um, I, I wish it. I wish Courtney would have died of a brain aneurysm. I wish that would have been the case because then I wouldn't have to do all this because this is this is my life now. I have to protect other girls. I'll be damned if I let him get another girl and another mother. 
that this happens to. I'll be damned. And I am doing this because I saved one. And I'm going to make sure that people know that. And if they decide to be with him, then they're at least warned. And there's proof out there for them to see. But nobody listens to me. There's a new case in the news. I don't know if you heard about a Lauren Smith Fields. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's close to here comparatively. Yeah. Yes. Except she has alcohol in her system. And Courtney has a beaten body with different stages of healing of bruising. She's even got a skin mark. You know, when you fall and you're a kid and you're roller skating outside and you skin your knees and you have that rip, rip rough skunk. She's got a, a rip from her edge of her bra would be to the top of her hip, a scrape mark that's raw from that day or a few hours before. And I know he, he always, the neighbors have spoken out. Um, nobody's interviewed them either. But my private investigators have investigated a lot and found out a lot. It shouldn't be my burden that I have to investigate this. This is written in as a homicide. The chief deputy calls it a homicide. But yet the paperwork to come see Courtney when she's dying, the urgency is medium. How on a 911 call is this the medium? But when he assaults her, she goes to the emergency room. They make the police report. That's urgent. The doctor himself says that this is an assault back in September of 2019. The police don't arrest him. They send him home with her. She says how she's afraid. She doesn't have a car. She doesn't have any place to go. She has to be at work in the morning. I have a recording that she took where he's telling her what to say to them at work. What happened to her eye? Say you're playing rugby. Tell them a girl hit you in the bar. We're out. All in his voice. What he planned this, and it, I, I just know it. I'm sorry, I mean, it, it, no, it sounds, it sounds, it sounds something planned, either either planned in advance or clean cleaned up after. And yes, it's it's hard to know which, and it's and when you don't know which, you don't know why. And and I think that's something no. that people don't understand. And when I say people, I mean people who are in law enforcement or in the Emmys offices and you know, different elected officials. And that is that sometimes they feel like they're there, it's all done, let it go. And the answer is, until I have those blanks filled in, I can't, I can't. like I, 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 I lay awake at night still. For me, it's been three years now, almost, since the loss that I had. And I still lay awake at night processing, like if I had to choose one piece of information, one thing, which would I do? And this is a terrible thought experiment, by the way, but it's, you know, what else do you do at two in the morning, right? Is is me, I either listen to podcasts or I <laughs> go through my head and these things of like, what one thing would I most want to do? And that changes depending on where I'm at and, and what I'm doing. But what thing would help my brain shut off and, and move into, you know, you hear about the phases of grief. Yes. Wouldn't it be cool to get to that? Because I feel like yes. when you got the blank question marks, you can't even start grieving yet because you just don't understand. No. And and that's that's something that I, I they don't want, you know, they, they feel like, like, look, we've told you, so you should trust us. And I'm like, well, okay, uh, hmm. I'm not a naturally conspiracy theorist kind of girl myself, but 
I lived, I've lived through politics in the United States in the past six years, give or take. I don't trust the government in the way that I used to. Neither do I. You know, because you Especially learn, now. yeah, you know, you learn about, you learn about, and I don't even mean like at the federal level, I mean, just like you learn about how different individual states and individual counties and individual towns within those counties can treat cases. And in one county, you have to talk to the ME and in another county, you talk to a coroner and to a third county, you talk to a court yes. clerk and in a fourth county, you know, and in other counties, you talk to the attorney general. And then there's other, like, like I had a, in a, in a very, very different issue, I, I'm dealing with a civil uh, contractor screw up thing that happened here at my house. And I'm, trying to keep myself out of prison, I think is the answer. And so I'm trying to, you know, <laughs> fill in all of the, like getting all the paperwork done and file and do what needs to be done. And so one of the things that I needed to do was talk to the attorney general because I was hearing, reading online that other people had had a similar problem to mine. And I'm from New York, originally upstate New York, where at least the, the concept I had was like the attorney general is like, in a throne room somewhere like you can't reach that person and we have d different in in massachusetts district attorneys that i needed to call not that although i have since spoken to the attorney general of massachusetts but at the time this is maybe six months ago i had to speak to the the da of a certain county in massachusetts to find some information about this particular contractor person i'm being diplomatic here and i did some research and ended up calling a phone number and got the 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 DA's home phone number and yeah. you know, not like not like through like it was through a, a staff member at her office gave me yeah. her home phone number and I called and she answered and she was perfectly happy to talk to me she answered my questions and I was like that feels like that should have been harder somehow but yes yes the the, the point to all of that though is that all of this is politics and the politics are so different from place to place to place and who you need to talk to and how and there's no manual like there's no manual for how no. to grieve there's no manual for how to no. cope with loss or whatever and, and and people like people talk about as like as an aside the stages of grief you know yes. that, that those weren't about grieving for a lost loved one those are about people who have received a terminal illness and are going through their sort of advanced grieving for their own death. Yes. That's, that's what those are. And so even the manual on death and dying by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross is not a manual for how to cope with the loss of a loved one. Like there is no such thing. And you can't even open that manual if it ex did exist yet because you haven't reached that step. And I don't, I don't know that people understand that like, look, you may tell me things I don't want to hear. You may tell me, like I said, my, my kid's arms are riddled with track marks and she was known to be engaging in sex work. And also in her spare time, she beat up puppies and small children like that. That may be the answer. And that's all mm -hmm. crappy stuff to hear. But at least there's answers there. That's right. And I wish and people I understood, that. you know, like, yeah, it, anything is better than that, that 2 a.m. moment where you suddenly realize like, oh, no, I also don't know about this thing. This is what my brain is going to obsess over for the next seven months. That'll be great. 
and you're just stuck. You're stuck. I don't have time to grieve. I'm working on her case. I've been looking for an attorney. I had an attorney who took money from me and did nothing. I had private investigators, three of them. But it's a lot of money to do this. Um, I don't, I think I forgot to mention that this family are oath keepers and so is the sheriff and um, they stick together. Um, there's a lot of corruption. If you were to Google North Carolina Sheriff's Department out of 41 reviews, um, I think it's 80%, 80-70% say that good place for a murder, great purse to kill somebody. If you look up the people who write good things, those are one stars. Now, if you look up, they give them five stars. So it's one star or five stars. The ones with the five stars um, are friends of the boyfriend's family or the sheriff because they name it right in the review. Right. Isn't that strange? Yeah, I was going to say that sounds it, sounds about right for online reviews. But 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 <laughs> who do you trust? How do you trust? You know, it, it's exhausting and. Yes, it and, and is everything because is, you're stuck. And oh, by the way, pandemic. Yes. And see that hurt my investigation also because they wouldn't lock, they locked down out there. They didn't line up. And it's been very hard. Um, I've lost two years of my life. I don't know where it went. I don't remember anything but investigating for two years. And um, I, I would do anything. For God to have taken me instead and let her live because she was a really good person, a lot better than me. And who knows what she'd be today. Um, one other thing I forgot to say, I'm sorry to jump around, um, Kate, is that the medical examiner did not find the burr holes in her skull from the brain surgery from high school. But when she went for a CT scan on September 26th, after the assault of September 25th, 2019, they see them in the CT scan, the burr holes in her skull. Sure. But that, gets, that, that seems notable. That seems like something that maybe you'd want to write down. Yeah. <laughs> I did because they pull her skull back. What mother wants to look at that? Right. Every, every homicide, according to the sheriff's department, North Carolina training guide is supposed to be investigated. I've been told from everyone in Illinois where I live that if this happened in Illinois, he would have been in jail already by now. Um, right, at I've least put in front of a grand jury, at least, you know, had a criminal investigation. Yeah. I mean, a statement, a, a, a statement. That's like, like I said, like, you know, at the end of the day, the answer may be, look, we don't have enough evidence to proceed with court proceedings. We don't have enough evidence to find a guilty verdict but some feeling that courtney mattered and that you matter that'd be that'd be courtney matter there should have been a statement there is none to this day they never asked him because that, that information on the medical examiner's report is he didn't sign off on that those are somebody taking his information and typing it out and putting it in he was supposed to be brought in like any other person that is there at a death, even if it doesn't, if it's a suicide and the needle is sticking out of the person's arm and they're holding it, the person who died, if someone's standing there, they question them. They question 
if there is nobody standing there, they still find out who saw him last or her last. That wasn't done with Courtney. I don't know if she ate. I don't know nothing. I don't know the last time they never tested her stomach contents. They don't notice that she doesn't have no adenoids or tonsils. Where's her permanent retainer that was put in her mouth? Um, Why, when they see the marks behind her neck, they see cauliflower ears from being beaten in the sides of her face. Let's just, let's just pretend Courtney was a drug addict. Let's pretend. How do you explain her body? Does the drugs have to be beaten into the pores of her skin? When you see drug addicts, they don't look like Courtney's body. There's marks on her. She couldn't have done herself. And to get two broken ribs, this is the fifth and sixth rib. This is at the bottom of your rib cage. He said he did CPR there. He's never told me what happened. That's He's never right. spoke to me. Sorry not to laugh, but that's not where you do. Okay, dude. No, you can laugh. I laugh. At least, at least be a good liar. You know, like that's that's a thing. Like people are going to tell yes, the me. stories they're going to tell, but at least at least be a good liar. You know, that's not you don't do CPR yeah. on somebody's stomach area, basically. So, no. so, and two questions, both of which are totally fine to decide. I don't want to go there. One is what happened to the dog and the cat? Um, Harley got hit um, by a car because the dog's never allowed in the house. Our dogs are allowed in the house. And Courtney made that clear. Um, somehow he won after a month of being there. Harley, the chocolate lab, who wasn't even year old, got hit by a car. Um, she's saved. She's laying right next to me as I'm talking to you. Harley is now, um, she just turned four. So um, she's doing really good. It's actually been four years this month. Valentine's Day is when um, I got her for Courtney in 2018. So um, she's with us and she's okay. She almost died on the grass out there. Courtney got home in time for work, from work, and um, he took her to get the dog fixed. And Harley um, heard about it because they had to borrow the money from um, she'd borrow the money from his father, and he always threatened. And I've seen the threats, and he even told me about him, the father, that if she didn't finish paying the bill, he was going to take the dog. They don't have a lot of respect and love for animals. When Harley came home, and this is right before Christmas time of 2018, not even a year she was out there, and Courtney had to sleep outside with Harley because Harley still wasn't allowed in the house. Courtney slept outside on the front porch, a cement porch with Harley as Harley's healing from being hit in the head, crossing the street to see the neighbor. So Harley's- The cat's gone, Ella, and Ella's gone. gone because Ella wasn't allowed in the house either. Sure. She was allowed in for a month and then she was told she had to live outside. She disappeared. It never well, was the same after that. Well, you know, and that's that's the thing is that it, it, this is I don't want to say I don't think there's any such thing as classic abuser behavior, but there are certain patterns that we see. And one of them is the steady removal of contact to the outside world and removal of comfort objects. And so the inability to use social media, the inability to contact you, the inability to make friends down there. There's that isolation. And yep. so first of all, the wall goes around the person and then you remove comfort objects. You, you, you make it so that 
the abuser, assuming that's what he was, and it, it sounds like that's pretty well established, that this was is. not a, a gentle, you know, respectful human. No. And the, you make it so that he is the sole determiner of what she has and doesn't have. And that creates it needs problems. Him. And, yes. and that PTSD thing is, you know, everybody reacts differently to profound trauma, but, but, but trauma is sort of defined as the either actual or perceived likelihood of death or serious injury. And when it happens once, sometimes we kind of shake it off. But when it happens over and over again, it changes who you are. It changes your ability to navigate through the world and your ability to to interpret what danger is anymore. Like you lose yes. your ability to, to accurately assess the situation that you're in because you things feel dangerous that aren't really. And then at other times you're in, you know, something that anybody else would be like, what are you doing? That's not safe. Don't do that. And you're like, no, it's fine. Kate, you, you are a million times right because shortly when I saw her last, I said to her, you've compromised so much. You don't know right from wrong anymore. You don't know who you are anymore. And Courtney was the most confident, badass. She wouldn't take this shit from nobody. And she took it from him. And he constantly guilted her into, I have one of the letters. He's going to commit suicide if she leaves. He'll die if she's not there to help him through this getting clean. And I listened to one conversation she recorded. And another texting is that always so positive she was in and ass kissing to him to make him think that he's doing so great just by not putting drugs in his mouth or in his arm. And um, in the end, he did it to her when she saved him. He's withdrawn in my house. I didn't know. Now I know what withdrawal looks like because I'd come home the week for Thanksgiving. The thermostat was at 95 degrees. My temperature is usually 65. He's wearing my pajama pants, my flannel pajama pants. To this day, he's got my clothes he's wearing, and he wears them out in Courtney's um, with other women, these two other girls. And he takes pictures on Facebook with it. It's like any normal person, Kate, would, your daughter dies. Say you're coming to me, I'm, I'm her boyfriend, and your daughter dies. And when I see your face, if I did it or not, I'm going to feel bad because you're going home without her. And she was with me last and I wasn't responsible enough to take care of her, whatever the reason is innocent or purposeful. I'm going to give you everything of your daughters. I'm going to give you my things, anything, pictures, anything you have it all because I want to make up for the pain, not him. He, he wanted her bed. That was her bed before she met him pictures, everything, every gift he gave her, which wasn't many. He kept not only that, he kept the gifts that she gave him. He never made a holiday special. He never did anything. She would make every holiday to die for, for him. She just wanted to give, give, give. And he never returned it, including when she fell at my house the week of Thanksgiving. Um, and she decided to go home with them. As soon as they got home, she called me. She wasn't told to lift anything. Of course, the electric's off because the father wouldn't pay the bill. And they have money to do it. He just chooses to punish them. He believes in, he's um, only pays Julie enough 
a bare minimum, he keeps most of his money because he thinks it's going to stop him from doing drugs. So Cordy has no bucket of water to throw in the toilet to go to the bathroom. He wouldn't go out and get a bucket. So with her hurt back, she has to. I'm on the phone with her, making sure she just got home. And I hear what she's asking him. And I didn't say nothing because I thought, that's okay. That's okay. Debbie, she's coming home. Don't say a word. Don't rock the boat. Don't let her overthink this. I forgot to say, too, is when she was here, she told me that I will have to drag her out of that house when I go get her because she's only strong when she's at home. And when she gets back out there, she's weak and she's going to fight me on it. Smart girl. Hey, that wasn't Courtney. Courtney didn't let people see her cry. She didn't tell how she really felt. Since she lost her father, you know, girls want their dads. She's always been this bulletproof person. She would put her feelings into other people. And that's why she understood other people so much. But it should have been me. It shouldn't have been her. She would have been a wonderful mother, a wonderful nurse in neurology for children. She could have gave to the world so much. And because what I think happened is he knew she was going and there was a fight and she, he wouldn't take her to the emergency room, just like when he assaulted her. The other times he did, this would have been the third assault. And this was going to the end of the custody battle. And he knew she was going and she couldn't go because Courtney would have, she told me she had things in place that he would have to let her go. And she had that tape of him, how high he was. And she told me she was going to use that in court. So he had to make it look like an overdose. And I think he put it in her food. That's why it took her three and a half hours to die. So, I think he stepped over her and left. Ugh. I mean, it, which is, so th- th- that sort of brings me around to this, you know, like we can't, we can't turn off the brain. I get, I get that. <laughs> what, what do you, I guess this is a sort of a two part question is one, what do you say to her in your mind? Courtney, yeah. I'm sorry. I tell her, I'm sorry. I should have seen through this. I say I should have locked you in a room. I should have. I should have not been so afraid that if I if if I was more aggressive with her staying, that she wouldn't run the other way. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I I, I wish I would have known better what drugs were. I I wish I would have known better what he was capable of. I wish I didn't trust her so much that she would know what to look for. I just didn't think her heart would have let him in that far as abusive as he was, but she was fighting to get away. I wish I would have known more about domestic violence because I, someone told me it takes a big amount of time of trying before you get away. She had a plan, which um, it's it's written even, she saw a doctor every three months. Um, Courtney took Adderall just like I do and her brother. And we have to get tested every three months and see a doctor for our prescriptions. And Courtney, um, Courtney told her doctor and they were, they wanted to know because the doctor reports from emergency room went to her doctor and um, they were in fear for her. And they said there's no way in the world that Courtney did drugs. Courtney was so self-conscious. Courtney um, was so against drugs. And even at the very end, to do something like that when she could hit any drug in the world. Why? She left here with 
a bad injury to her spine falling on wooden stairs and wouldn't take the pain medication because he would take it. She just wouldn't. Yeah. Oh, I forgot. I forgot the other excuse that I heard last from Julian. Um, you're a laugh at this one, Kate. Courtney did drugs all along to make him mad. Sure. <laughs> because that's why people do drugs is to make other people angry. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it, it sounds like he's, he's pretty impressively paranoid and there's a lot of, of, I mean, it's hard to know whether it's covering up truths that he knows or whether it's convincing himself of an alternate reality. Like, who knows when you're not there? Like, who knows what he actually believes? But one way or another, he's not a reliable, what we would call in the field, a reliable reporter. Like, you can't no. trust the words that he says anymore. But the the other the no. other question that I, that I was going to ask, which... I don't know whether it'll be easier or harder because it's you know like the things that you want to say to her you know the the apologies that you want to make are are are, are very mom apologies you know and as yes. as as a mom I'm, I'm there with you it's like shit I wish I was psychic and omnipotent like I would be if I could be you know and yes oh you, my gosh Kate you can't but you I know. think I was you you want to be yeah, you I think, do when I think. And, and that's, that's, so that's very mom. What would you need to hear to feel a little better? I would, I would want to know what really happened to her. I would really, and I know I'm never going to, because he's never going to tell me. These are people that do heroin, like drinking a Coke. It's documented in the court systems. Um, of the guns, the shooting at people, the heroin. His sister just over the summer got caught with her four-month-old baby in the car and she overdosed on heroin with the car running. And a four-month-old baby, her second child, she carried the first one. She's alive though, of course, they revived her. Um, and, and that's another thing. Where was the Narcam in Courtney's house? Where was the stuff she was trying to use on Julian? It was there. Right. It's always been there. Where's the dioxin? You know, where's where's the, the drug testing that Courtney's been on? She's in the medical field. Where is all that drugs? But anyway, his sister carried their the first child with a different daddy, two separate daddies, um, on heroin the whole time. This mother's an RN. And I found out, which I don't think Courtney knew. Maybe she did. I don't know. But she hid this from me because... She didn't want me to worry all the way out here because she knows I wouldn't have put up with it. But um, his mom can't even practice nursing anymore in North Carolina. She got caught stealing those drugs out of the ER. So she can only practice in South Carolina. So they have a house in North Carolina and a house in South Carolina. Um, the father shoot out the, the TV in North Carolina's house. So she moved for a year. They didn't have a relationship. And then they got back together really well by the time Courtney died. So when Courtney's death came, it brought them together. But I think they're, again, separate. Um, but she can only work in South Carolina as an RN. She cannot work in North Carolina. So there was no job for Courtney. Yeah, no, it sounds like even, you know, right from the start. Yes. They tricked her. Every one of them tricked her to come down there to be the sitter. For Julian, Courtney looked good on paper for him to have custody of his child. Courtney almost married him um, six, 
eight months, eight months after they were there. And I told her, absolutely not. And she was mad at me for a few months and didn't talk to me, either did him. And then um, something happened and he called me. They were fighting because they always were. It was always about drugs. Um, they wouldn't talk to me because I didn't approve. I says, Courtney, no, this isn't how I raised you. You know, this isn't you go down there and get married like that. You don't want to marry someone where you're going to see how it's going to end up. His parents lived the life that Courtney would have lived. The mother didn't do drugs or drink. She was in the medical field. So was Courtney. Courtney, you know, she would have beers or, or a, a drink, but she wasn't a drunk. She didn't do drugs. She smoked pot. Um, she didn't even smoke that much pot, but she did more when she met him, um, which is legal in Illinois. So she didn't see it as a bad thing. Um, the father is an alcoholic. He's a drug dealer, I find out. He rents to the people that sell drugs that he doesn't want Julian to be on. That never made sense to me. If you were a mom, Kate, and you wanted your child off of drugs, would you rent homes to the people that sell your son the drugs? Would you hire? You know, I'd have, I'd, I'd have a hard time with it for sure. Like, it's, I mean, it's, it's so complicated and, and they make such strange decisions. And the way he comes up with cash. Could you come up with $65,000 in three weeks cash? I could not. Absolutely not. He did. And then what? Eight months later, he came up with another $250,000 for another house wow. in South Carolina. It's hard for me to come up with $500. Right. <laughs> right. And and so, I mean, that's that's, I think that's ultimately um, kind of the point though the answer to the question though is that what would help you is not to hear him fall on the sword or him ap even apologize or whatever it's just to know just just to know I, I would like to know what she went through because that's what and, and I know he likes it because that's how he is he he had the control and he still does I just want to know what my child went through um I, I talked to um, a psychic person after she died and, you know, those are things you could believe or not. And I, I'm not too sure, but that person told me things that only Courtney and I knew that nobody else knew. Um, so I felt safe enough to ask, could he have saved her? And she said, yes. Oh, hell yes, mom. And if she was there, those are her words. That's how she talked. Hell yes, mom. Yes. Hell yes, mom. It's like a double confirmation. And um, I knew that was her. and I asked her why she had to be with him. Does she know now he, he never loved her. He's incapable. He's a narcissist. It's always been about him. And she said, yes. And I said, why did you have to do that? Why did you have to be with him? He is the worst person. Your life was never so bad. Nothing was better. Everyone you've been with, something was better. It, it, you both grew. This one, you went backwards. You've never lived the way you lived with him. You lived like a pulper, and yet these are rich people. And she said that he was just something she had to experience. Her soul had to experience. And um, I, I, I guess I could respect that, but um, it's not right that he's still doing heroin. He's still doing fentanyl, which by the way, is his drugs of choice. I have that on recording. Um, he prefers those two drugs. 
His sister does heroin. It's documented the court. It's documented with Julian, documented with the father in his long background of the illegal things with drugs and, and alcohol and guns with all of them. He's got a cousin two years before court. I think it's two years. Um, he dies of overdose. He's a drug addict too, but he was recovering. He dies of an overdose. He had relapse. They're well aware of overdose, what it looks like. But Courtney dies of an overdose and he doesn't think it's an overdose. He doesn't breathe into her any CPR. He's talking the whole time. Never shuts up one minute to breathe into her. Well, and, and CPR does break the ribs if it's done correctly. It does, but, yes. but not the ribs down at the bottom. It breaks the ribs over the sternum, you know. Yes. And, and he knows. He works at a place you have to have CPR. He knows how to do CPR. I know how to do CPR. But, okay, let's just say he does all those things. Why would you not identify the body? Why yeah. is there no drugs found? And why does he not say he knows her medical condition of her brain surgery? He was there when she had to have the CT scan. He was there when she had to have it checked. He's He knows the medication. He doesn't tell them she takes Adderall. Adderall's, none of her prescriptions are found in the house. Why doesn't he say all that? And then why is he let her sit in the morgue for six hours and won't identify her body? And then he tries to take her body after that and say they're married. It almost released the body to her, to him, of her. And I would have never seen her. Right. Who, who does things like that? And then yet when people ask about her, he doesn't want to tell them anything about her. He doesn't want to say what her favorite color is. He doesn't want to say what her favorite food is, when they met, how they met, like she's nobody. And then he wants me to believe that Courtney did drugs <laughs> because right. she wanted to get him mad. Like that's all she was. <laughs> and she mattered. Yes. You know what else, Kate? This is another thing. Maybe you could answer this for me. Why would the father who's married in North Carolina have a girlfriend out in Illinois? I mean, if she, my guess, obviously I don't know anything about the girlfriend, but my guess is he, you know, I mean, you said that the toddler lived in Illinois, right? So the toddler's mother was from the area. Yes, but this is the father of uh, Julian. This would be one. The uh, uh, I see. So I mean, some similar ties in the area, huh? I mean, it sounds, it sounds like yeah. th- that that's a family that doesn't think about relationships in a typical way. Let's say, like I, you know, yeah. it's. We never wrote anything to her, even on Facebook. They've never addressed her. They treated her so bad there, like she was nobody. I mean, she's they probably even, uh, realistically, they've probably been told not to. They've probably retained a lawyer on their side that says, don't, don't apologize. Don't admit you've done anything wrong. Don't make any public statements. Don't talk to the police without an attorney present. Like all of the, the things that lawyers are kind of supposed to. But yet they posted her autopsy and told me on Facebook, stop. All of them have told me to stop investigating or they're going to post her autopsy. And they did. Well, you, I think an you know, attorney it, would have told them not to do that. Well, it's hard to know if that's, if that's public record though, they may not, you know, that's, that's a thing. It's hard to, it, it depends, again, depends on the state, depends on the jurisdiction, but if it's public, it record, public any, record anyway, then they can just be like, well, then we're just, you know, we might as well, there's no suppressing it anyway. We might as well make it public as a, like, that's not, that's, 
share when the autopsy says cause of death accidental slash overdose that's not admitting wrongdoing but making a public statement like apologizing or i miss her so much or i wish i had done something different all of those could be seen as admissions of guilt by some jurisdictions yeah which is which is whole ass bullshit by the way but that's how some people think yeah but they never express right below the cause of death is she drugs her system but honestly um tom petty i don't know if you know anything about tom petty tom petty died of a heroin fentanyl overdose, if I'm correct. But it was a drug overdose. Do you know what his cause of death is listed as? No. Cardiac arrest. Not an overdose of drugs. And he did overdose on drugs. He got, um, he was trying to get off of drugs. He went and took a pain pill that was laced with fentanyl and heroin and opioid. So he died of the same thing Courtney did. No blunt force trauma to head, torso, extremities, but yet they list his drug not on there. He died of a cardiac arrest. So how is that different? Money is different is, is the answer. Yes. And, and fortunately, the medical examiner in Raleigh, North Carolina, goes with, and it's documented in newspapers. They asked the sheriff, what are you looking for to be on this autopsy? Oh, this? Okay. We'll direct it towards this. And that's what they put. And in that area, they prefer a drug overdose. They get more money for the government. They don't use any of it to prosecute anyone, even though the state says they have a new law that they will prosecute. It's up to a 40-year prison term if you're caught giving drugs or selling drugs to someone. They've done nothing to investigate this. They should do that per their new law. They have not. But yet, it, it... she died of a cardiac arrest. It says on all the paperwork, even on the... 911 call, it says medium response time needed, medium, and she's dying. They got there, there's a pulse, she dies, and it says cardiac arrest. But she's labeled, anyone that calls up, it's a drug overdose. Eight months, or I'm sorry, six months before the autopsy comes out. That's not right. She's not garbage. And they did the same thing to Lauren Smith Fields. Hers was listed as a fentanyl heroin overdose, if I'm right, on the drugs. But it was listed as an accidental drug overdose. No evidence of her ever doing drugs, just like Courtney. A guy did it. He was a drug addict, just like Julian is. And until Cardi B, the rapper, came out, and the mother was screaming about it like me, Cardi B, the rapper, comes out, and all of a sudden the medical examiner changes it to undetermined. I would be okay with undetermined. Let's have a criminal investigation. Let's find out what really happened. And then let's make it that way. But even if Courtney was a drug addict, just because you're a drug addict yesterday, you may not have been a drug addict the day you died. Okay, let's just say she was then. Why does her body look the way it does? Why is it listed on her death, on the autopsy, blunt force trauma, head, torso, extremities? Why does it say pulmonary edema and pneumonia from two broken ribs, the fifth and sixth rib, one on each side? Do you know what it takes to break those ribs? That's a car accident being thrown out of a car or hit with a baseball bat. Anyone can Google that, and that's what comes up. That's how I figured it out, that that's those ribs are so hard to break down. They're, they're not like 
by the sternum. They're not, they're at the bottom. They're not even connected to the sternum. Right. No, um, there's, those there's ribs flex. Very, they flex. Yes. And the age that she is, her bones flex. She's 24 years old. Right. She's an athlete. She isn't riddled with drugs like our friend Julian here is. It just, I just want, I just want to see another overdose victim that's accidental that has their body look like Courtney's. And I would be okay, but I haven't found one yet. I haven't seen one yet. And she deserves a criminal investigation. That's where our tax dollars pay for. And once someone gets away with one of these, there's going to be more. He's not going to stop hurting women. He's not going to start killing them because when you take drugs the way he does, your strength is a lot more than you think it is. You're able to punch someone and break ribs and bones because you don't feel pain yourself. I just, if I don't spread this and change things, there's going to be more of this happening and I have to stop it. I wish somebody would have done what I'm doing right now because maybe my daughter would be alive. Something has to stop. Young women are being killed and it's not their choice. I would be okay if this was an aneurysm. I'd be okay if Courtney chose to die. This wasn't her choice. She had a right, civil right, to live and be happy and prosper and do what she wants to do. And it wasn't his choice. Just please, somebody show me someone that looks like Courtney died of this, then maybe I could get some peace. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Assuming that you have listened to me for any amount of time, you may have noticed that once Debbie starts speaking, I don't say a word for a solid 40-some minutes. I don't ask questions. I don't interject for a long time. That wasn't planned. That was just a matter of here is someone who needed to tell her story and feel heard. And the very best thing I could do as a human being in that moment was to shut up and listen. And then I ask some questions and it becomes more of a back and forth. And yeah, it's a long episode, but it needs to be. I think it shows a tremendous strength on Debbie's part that she has her suspicions. They're pretty clear, but she's able to say like, look, I can accept being wrong. I just need to know. Seeking knowledge like that, that's an act of courage that I hope I would be able to emulate if I had to. Debbie, thank you so much for talking with me and trusting me with your story. I hope that you're able to get some answers. For onlookers, we talked 
for a long time before hitting record and we talked for even longer after hitting record and I've tried to get Debbie in touch with some people that may be able to help her out but if you have any ideas connections in the area if you're able to help with investigation in some way or to to look over the autopsy report or to just listen to her and help her get Courtney's story out there, I would appreciate it. And I think Debbie would as well. But if nothing else, thank you for listening. It matters. Everybody's story is worth telling and everybody's story is worth listening to. So is yours. You matter. <laughs>